You know, when I was in high school, I lived in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and the place where we lived right across the street, just like almost right across this main street, there was a mall. And all around the mall, there were these shopping plazas. Maybe you've seen similar structures like around a mall. There's all of these storefront kind of shops and different things. And one of those storefront shops was a Hostess outlet store. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been to one of those, okay? But it's the place that sells all of the Twinkies and cupcakes and all of the little baked good and snacks that you get. And one time I'm driving behind the Hostess store and I'm shocked because one of the employees is just dumping out boxes of special treats. And I'm like, what? They're just throwing this stuff away. And so I get this idea. Now, I don't know if this is legal, so this was before I was a Christian, okay? But I go with my friends behind the store, and I go dumpster diving. And we open up the trunk of my car, and we're just loading boxes of day-old Twinkies and stale cupcakes and all of that stuff into the trunk of my vehicle. And then we go out into this big open area. We divide up all of our spoils, and we have the most epic food fight ever, okay? We're like throwing these baked goods at each other. Like I walk away with frosting all over my face. Not going to lie, I ate some of them, okay? Because as a high school student, you don't care that they're a day old, right? So like I'm eating some of them. I'm throwing them like we're having a blast with my friends. I don't know if you've ever heard that statement, one man's trash is another man's treasure, but it felt like that that day, okay? Like I was so pumped and we cashed in on this stuff that other people were throwing away. But as I begin to think about the topic that we're talking about today, I think sometimes the culture really believes that. One man's trash is another man's treasure. Whatever feels good to you, it doesn't matter what other people think about it, doesn't matter what other people say, doesn't matter what God thinks or what scripture says, if it feels good to you, go ahead and do it. If it's okay with you, it doesn't matter about other people, just go ahead, indulge in it. No one's going to know you deserve it, right? Like, this is about you. If, if you're comfortable with it, then it's all okay. One man's trash is another man's treasure. But as we go to Scripture and we look at the world around us, those two things do not match up. And I think as a society and a culture, and I want you to hear this, we have trashed what God has asked us to treasure. We have trashed what God has asked us to treasure In the scripture, God describes this gift of sex and sexuality in our life. And he talks about honoring that within the covenant of marriage. But you don't have to look too far in our society to realize that is no longer valued in our culture. The idea of one man and one woman, a committed relationship, honoring God through sex with just one other person that you've married and you've committed to, like that's outdated That's old school, right? Like, that's what people did back in the 1950s. Like, that was a long time ago. There is no way that works in our society and culture. You can't ask me to do that as an individual because that is so old school. We have trashed what God has asked us to treasure. And you turn on TV, you watch movies, right? And it's not the committed relationship you're in right now. It's the next affair, It's the next romantic encounter. That's what you're looking forward to. That's what you're looking ahead to is is what else is out there. Who else can you fall in love? Because this relationship is starting to get old and stale, and so you need to be done with it. We quickly, as a culture, we trash what God has asked us to treasure. And on the flip side of that, we treasure what God has said is trash. 
There are things that God has said, do not go there. It's going to bring destruction. It's going to bring shame. There's going to be sin there, and there's going to be guilt that comes. God said, that is trash. That's off limits. Do not go there because it's going to bring pain in your life. And we as a culture, we have treasured that. We've said, well, it doesn't matter what other people think or what other people say. If it feels good to me, I am going to do it. I don't have to listen to scripture, right? I don't have to follow other people's instructions. Um, Whatever it is, I'm just going to indulge in it because after all, this is about me. We have treasured what God says and what scripture says is trash. That's off limits. Don't do that because it's going to bring pain to you and other people. And I want to challenge us this morning of how do we avoid these traps? How do we avoid the bait of sexual sin in our life? Now, for those of you that are already starting to squirm, and this is getting really uncomfortable, and you're honestly thinking, did not think we would be talking about sex this morning in church. Let me tell you, this is the place where we need to be talking about this. This is a gift from God. And this is something he has placed in our life. And and it's a gift that he has given us. And so we need to know, God, how did you design this? What does this look like for us in the different seasons of life we are in? And just in case you're wondering, is this an okay topic? It is because God took an entire book of the Bible and he talked about this. It's called Song of Songs. If you've never read it, it is a romantic poem between a man and a woman in their pursuit and their physical relationship within the gift of marriage that God has given us. He took an entire book of the Bible and he said, this is a gift that I've given you. And this is what it looks like within the marriage covenant. And this is what that means. You go to the New Testament and Paul, this writer of the New Testament, took an entire section of a letter and he wrote to the church about sexual sin was a church in Corinth. They were struggling with this. Now, you need to understand, he wasn't writing to people that were far away from Jesus. He wasn't writing to people that were disconnected from God. He was writing to the church. And he's saying, you've got sexual sin in your midst that would make people outside of the church blush, and you need to take care of it. And you need to understand the way God has designed us and what it means to honor God with our physical bodies, what that looks like in the different seasons of our life, what that means. And so he writes to the church saying, hey, you need to deal with this. You need to talk about this. And they would have read that letter in a setting like this. So God is okay with us talking about sex. You know why? Because the enemy's not hiding it, is he? I mean, it's just a few clicks away. It's just a moment um, of weakness that you can fall into those different traps. Like, it is right there accessible. There is no way Satan is there like, well, we can't talk about sex. No, he is, okay? He's keeping it in front of us all the time. He's trying to trap us and bait us. And so we as the church, as the people of Jesus, we need to know what is God's plan? What does God say about this? What does Scripture say? How do we honor God with our lives? And how do we be a light in the culture around us? And so I'm going to talk about kind of two different thoughts in two different sections of Scripture. The first is this. How do we stop falling for the bait of sexual sin? How do we stop falling? Like, what are those traps that we tend to fall in? Like, how do we end up stumbling and tripping up and getting trapped? What is the bait that the enemy puts in us? How do we open that door in our life? And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament to look at some of those ways that we fall for the trap or the bait of sexual sin. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we're going to have the scriptures there on the screen. But if you've never read this part of the Bible, um, I'll kind of quickly catch you up. This part of the Bible is about a man named David. And even if you've not been around church a lot 
or not read a lot about the Bible, you may be familiar with David. This is the guy who killed the giant, Goliath, okay? So if you've ever heard David versus Goliath, this is where that term kind of comes from. There was a young shepherd boy who was not a skilled warrior who killed a giant who was a seasoned warrior and ended up winning a victory for the people of God and defending the name of God. And over the course of a couple of decades after that, David had already been um, told that he would be king and he continues to fight battles. He protects the people of God. He's a warrior. He's a man after God's own heart. He's a poet. And he ends up becoming king over the people of God, over the nation of Israel. And after a little bit of time, like we're going to pick up this story, David has already been king for a while. And this is what we read in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. It says this, in the spring... At the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem, and one evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace, and he saw a woman bathing. That woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, this is Bathsheba. It's the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness, and then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David falls for the bait or the trap of sexual sin in this passage. And I think there's things that we see in his life that we tend to open up the door to sexual sin in our life when we do these similar things. And so I want us to look at this. Now, I love this about Scripture. It does not hide the sins of its heroes. It doesn't kind of cover over the mistakes that even some of the people, the, the spiritual giants of the faith, they were human too, and they messed up. And the Bible's very open and honest about that so that we can learn, so that we can grow, so that we don't fall for this same bait or the same traps that David finds himself in here. And so this is what it says. In the spring at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men. You and I will fall for the bait of sexual sin when we are not doing what we are supposed to be doing. When you are not doing what you are supposed to to be doing. What do I mean by that? David was called as king to protect the nation of Israel. He was called to be a leader. That was something that God had called him to and anointed him for. That was the calling over David's life. He should have, as all the other kings were, he should have been leading his armies out into battle. He should have been on the forefront of protecting the nation, protecting the people of God, making sure that the country was safe and secure because that is the calling that God had over his life. And yet David forgot that calling. And he assumed, well, being king means I'm comfortable. I've already fought a lot of battles. I've already gone to war a number of times. And so I'm going to send someone else out to do what it is that I should be doing. David was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. And he opened up the door. He opened up that trap in his life for the enemy to come in and tempt him with sexual sin. You and I, you're going to open the door to sexual sin in your life when you are not doing what you are supposed to be doing. What do I mean by that? You are called by God to be a light in this broken world. You're called by God to be a light. You are called by God. You are a bearer of God's truth. 
Students, that means when you walk into that high school, you are a picture of what the gospel is. You are a reflection of Jesus Christ. When you walk into your workplace, adults, you are a reflection of Jesus. And when you don't realize that calling, when you don't understand what it is that God has spoken over your life, when you, like David, mistake that my life is about being comfortable, my life is about making sure that I feel good, that I get what it is that I want to do. It doesn't matter about other people. This is really about me. When you forget God's calling over your life, you're going to end up falling for the bait of sexual sin every single time because you've missed God's calling. You're supposed to be his example of righteousness. You're supposed to be God's picture of restoration and redemption to the world around you. You're supposed to be protecting people, not exploiting them. So what you put in front of your eyes, it does matter, church. It is important because if you put the wrong things in your eyes, you have forgotten who God has called you to be, that you are a protector, you're a reflection, you are a son and daughter, and looking at someone else without clothes does not reflect the image of God over their life. You are called by God to protect people and to honor them and to respect them. That's what God has spoken over your life. David forgot about his calling. He forgot that he was supposed to be protecting the nation. He said, I'll send someone else to do that because I want to be comfortable right now. I've already fought a number of battles. And he ended up forgetting the calling of God over his life. But church, I want to challenge you every day. Remember God's calling. Remember you wake up with purpose. You wake up with God's plan. You wake up with God speaking destiny over your life to bear his image, to be an example of his redemption to the world around us. And when we forget that calling, we will open the door to sexual sin in our life. The second thing is David was not where he was supposed to be. You and I can fall for the bait of sexual sin when we are not where we are supposed to be. Now, I'm going to get really practical. It says this, but David remained in Jerusalem. That is not where he was supposed to be right now. The kings were supposed to be off in battle with their armies. David should have been in that location where his armies were battling to protect the nation of Israel, to protect the people of God. You will fall for sexual sin, and I will fall for sexual sin. When I am not where I am supposed to be, David remained in Jerusalem. What do I mean by that? Students, when you tell your parents, okay, I'm going to stay after school, I'm not doing good in this class, I'm studying for tutorials, but you wind up at your boyfriend or girlfriend's house, you are not where you are supposed to be. And that is a recipe for disaster in your life. Your parents are trusting you in that moment. You need to be where you are supposed to be. Adult, in your work, you are paid to be in a certain spot, right? Whether that's um, in a classroom, whether that's at a desk, you're doing projects. If it's selling stuff, you're where you're supposed to be. That's where you're supposed to be at. But yet you find yourself at that hot guy or hot girl's desk, flirting with them, right? Trying to get their attention, trying to get noticed, right? Trying to get them to say something, to comment on your outfit. You are not where you are supposed to be. That can be a recipe for disaster. That can cause issues in your life when you are not where you are supposed to be. And one of the best things that you can do in avoiding the temptation of sexual sin is be where you are supposed to be. Just practically, where should I be at in this moment? Now, I've shared with some of you guys, like, I don't always sleep through the night. Sometimes I wake up, my mind is running. But in the middle of the night, where I'm supposed to be is next to my wife. So I don't get out of bed in the middle of the night. I don't go into the living room and get on my phone. I don't go into our office area and turn on Netflix. I don't do any of that because where I'm supposed to be 
is next to Sarah. And I know one of the biggest traps of the enemy is just to get me where I'm not supposed to be at and to find myself in a situation where I should not be. I was talking with a guy the other day, and um, he saw my iPhone, and he's like, I'll never get one of those because then your wife can always see where you're at. And I thought, yeah, she always needs to know where I'm at. And so you can ask Sarah at any moment she can click on her phone. She can always see my location. She knows if I am where I am supposed to be. Why? Because I want that accountability in my life. I want people around me, my friends, to know where am I supposed to be. And if I'm not there, they can ask me about that. Why weren't you there? Why weren't you at work in the middle of the day? Where were you at? Where were you supposed to be? We need to be able to ask each other these questions. See, sometimes we want to make it all of these philosophical ideas. Sometimes it's just really practical to shut the door on the trap of the enemy. To say, I'm going to be where I am supposed to be at because it's going to close the door to sexual sin in my life. David was not where he was supposed to be. And it ended up costing him so much because he allowed that door to open in his life. You need to be where you are supposed to be. The next thing that we see in David's life, one evening David got up from bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace and he saw a woman bathing and she was very beautiful. So David sent someone to find out about her. You will fall for the bait of sexual sin when you turn a glance into an inquiry. When you turn a glance into an inquiry. Now, this may seem odd, but David actually didn't sin by seeing Bathsheba bathing. Like, I don't think he got up that night and started walking around thinking, can I see someone naked out there in the kingdom? Like, he's just up, he's in the middle of the night or whatever part of night that is, he's walking around. That's not where sin is introduced into his life. It's when he keeps looking. One of my college professors says, guys, the first look doesn't cost you, it's the second one. It's when you keep looking. It's when you start to inquire about that sin in your life. And that's what David did. He should have, in that moment, when he saw Bathsheba bathing, he should have gone downstairs to his wife. And he should have said to her, like, hey, I just saw something I should not have seen. And I want to be honest with you. You are the only person I want to look at like that. Like, I don't want to allow any door, any opportunity. But he did not do that. He started to make inquiries. Hey, who is this? She's really beautiful. He had to keep looking. He had to send a servant or someone to find out about her. He had to invite her into the palace. It was a moment where he should have guarded his heart. He didn't mean to see her in that position or that situation, and yet he did, and he did not guard his heart, and he kept on taking it further. He kept on going with that. And so sometimes we beat ourselves up. Guys, you didn't mean to see that when you were scrolling through Netflix, but it's when you go back, right? You're flipping through the TV shows like, what am I going to watch? What's on Hulu? And you see that girl in the bikini and you keep going, but it's when you stop and you start going back. And then what lies do you tell yourself? I bet this is a good TV show. They probably have a really good storyline. Like the writers are amazing, I bet, on this. That's not why you're watching that. You want to see more of that girl like that. You need to guard your heart. It's not that immediately like I was flipping through and I should not have seen that, it's when you go back and you start dwelling on it and you start reflecting on it. Ladies, you're walking through the grocery store, right? And there's that magazine and there's that guy with the chiseled abs and your husband does not look like that. But that header says six ways to get him to notice you and get him in bed and you start flipping through like, man, that's what I want. It's when you take it further and you go places that you were never meant to go. How about this one? Facebook friend request. 
And that old high school sweetheart, that person you used to date years ago, I wonder if they still have feelings about me. I wonder how their life ended up. My life is so stressful. No one appreciates me. No one really values who, am I, who I am. As, I wonder if they would meet me for coffee. See, it's something simple like that. You didn't mean to go there, but you kept inquiring. You kept taking it further. And now instead of being in that committed relationship, instead of being where you are, that initial look, you kept inquiring about it, and it has led you to a place where you should not be at. That's the way the trap of the enemy works. That's the way he dangles the bait in front of you to get you to go places that you should not go and bring destruction to yourself. As you continue this story, this act right here, this act of David ends up having him cause murder. He kills this woman's husband. It ends up causing the death of his son. It ends up causing one of his sons to rape his daughter, and then death and destruction is brought into the family. The kingdom is eventually split because of the different lines that David has now in the family, sons from different relationships. There is all kinds of destruction because David did not guard his heart. And that's the way the trap of the enemy works. That's the way the the bait of sexual sin works. When you and I are not doing what we're supposed to do, when we're not where we're supposed to be and we take an initial look or an initial glance and we keep moving it further. We inquire about it. Now, Jesus tells us in the scripture some simple ways that we avoid the trap of sexual sin. How do we avoid this bait? We see how David fell in it. So if you have your Bibles, turn this morning to Mark chapter 10. And Jesus is having a conversation about relationships and about marriage and about God's design and plan for our life as it comes to this. And this is what Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 7 says. Jesus says this, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. So if you have your Bibles, you can underline that part right there. Be united to his wife. That is God's plan for sexuality in our life. That's If we're going to have sex, this is how God says, this is how this is to be done. And so as we look at this, we need to view sex as a gift from God, okay? So we're going to say that out loud, probably the most uncomfortable thing you've ever said in church. It's sex is a gift from God. Say that. Sex is a gift from God, okay? We believe that sex is a gift from God. Now, we've taken this, and we've done a lot of things with this idea, but in order to avoid this, we need to really view this God. This isn't a trap of the enemy. Sex is not something God came up with after the fall. This was God's plan before the fall. This is something God gave us as a gift in our life. So we need to view sex as a gift from God. God, this is something you've given us. And that's what that means right there, that a man will be united to his wife. This is God's plan, okay? So this is what God ordained at the beginning of time. This is what, now, this isn't just a physical act. That word united right there, it has some depth to it. It has some meaning to it that the audience would have understood. When God is talking about sex, being united with the wife, it was more than just a physical act, okay? So we've tried to use all of these terms like hooking up, one night stand, right? Like all of these things getting jiggy with it for some of you guys back in your generation, right? Like that's how you looked at that. That was your thought. And whenever you and I do that, whenever we just have a casual relationship, this is what it's like. We're taking ourselves and we're attaching ourselves to someone else. And it could be late at night at their apartment, right? 
and things get a little hot and heavy, and I'll just leave it like that for kids in the room, okay? But whatever that looks like, like you are connecting yourself with someone else outside of God's plan. You think this is just the physical act, right? Like that's all this is, is I'm just connecting physically with someone else. Like that's what this looks like. And so you do that. Well, I think we'll really get married. Like this could be the person that I'm with. This could be the person that I spend my life with. Or or no one's really going to know about this. Everyone else is doing that. And that's what you do is you end up connecting yourself with someone else. But it's outside of God's purpose. And it's not viewing sex as a gift from God. See, when God talked about this, there were a number of different aspects of being united. There was a spiritual aspect. And that is that you have stood in front of God, in front of friends and family, in front of other people, in front of your community and said, I'm entering into covenant with this one person. This is covenant together. There's a spiritual aspect that that we're being connected together spiritually. God is overseeing my commitment to this one individual. That's what it means to be united. That's what that looks like. There was an emotional aspect of there's intimacy there in what, what happens in that marriage relationship. There's an intimacy and a closeness. There's an emotional connection. It's not just a one night stand. It's not just, okay, this is it, and then I'm going to move on to the next relationship. There was a physical connection there. And when we do it outside of God's plan and something goes and starts to pull on our relationship, it's going to tear. It's going to destroy us. When something heavy, right, financial issues, or we don't see eye to eye, things start to get ripped up in our lives because that relationship can't stand that pressure. Because it's only built on the physical. And pretty soon what ends up happening is we tear ourselves apart. And this is all we have left to give to someone else. Because we have connected outside of God's plan and outside of God's purpose. But you guys, whenever we do this God's way, and I want you to get a visual of this. Whenever this is about covenant, it's like something that's built well. And it's not just connected from something really simple but there's wood glue and there's screws and there's bolts and there's all of these things. And so when something pulls on it, it holds together a lot better. And when something tries to stretch it or get stressed out or any of those things, like it's able to carry a lot more than this simple paper can because it's according to God's plan. God's plan was never just, hey, this is a physical act. This is just something to make you. No, God's plan was, hey, this is covenant. There's a deep emotional, that's what it means for a man to be united with his wife. There is a connection. So you in front of a screen, that's not God's plan. That's not God's purpose. Someone that you'll never know, someone that you just meet one time, that is not God's plan. There's no commitment there. That's just a physical act, and that is outside of what God is talking about when he's giving us this direction here. And we wonder why our lives feel so torn apart. We wonder why it still feels like we're connected to other people out there. It's because we've attached ourselves and now there's pieces of us out there that God never meant or not God never designed for this thing to work like this. We need to view this as a gift from God. God, this is something you've given us. And so because of that, Lord, we want to know how you've created us, Lord, and what this means. And so the second thing of avoiding that bait of sexual sin is we follow the designer's instructions. Have you ever seen that on an appliance, like please only use as intended? 
Like that is there for those of us that struggle a little bit mentally, right? Like we need that extra instruction of, hey, don't use this in a way that you should not. That's what God says in the scripture. As it comes to sex, do not use this in a way that it was not intended because it will bring that death and that destruction. And so God's very clear here. You can read this. In the beginning, God created them male and female. And a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but they're one flesh. And so it is not okay for you as one person to engage in sexual activity by yourself. That's not okay. God said, no, there's to be two. Whatever fantasies that you may struggle with, there are not to be more than two. God is very specific. There are to be two in the marriage covenant. As it comes to sex, there are to be two individuals. God kind of lines it out. The questions that you and I may have as it comes to this, God is very clear in this passage. This is the way that I have designed it to work. This is supposed to be a covenant. This is supposed to be a commitment. This is supposed to be an emotional connection. This is how God has laid it out. But we live in a society, as I mentioned at the beginning, that just says, hey, if it feels good, do it. And now you can have access on your phone to see whatever you want, to hook up with whoever you want, to have access to whatever it is that you want to be sexually fulfilled. And we've forgotten that God had a plan for this all along. And there's a purpose and there's a way that we honor God in the different, different seasons of our life as it comes to sex and as it comes to God's plan. But we live in a culture that says you can't contain that and you shouldn't. There should be no boundaries on sex. There should be no boundaries on people's sexuality, whatever they want to do. It's no one else's right. It's not scripture's right. It's no one else's right to tell someone that what they do is wrong as it comes to sex. But yet we live in the world around us and we see, hey, containing things is not always bad. I heard a pastor give this illustration that I want you to think about. And he showed this picture. I think we have it up here, right? On one side of this, you see millions of gallons of water being contained, and it's flowing through a hydroelectric plant, right? And when that water is contained and only a certain amount is getting out, like in the way that it was intended to, in the way that it was supposed to, what happens? Further down the line, your house has power, right? You can turn on your dishwasher or your refrigerator or your AC in the Texas heat. Like it is done by that because the water is contained. On the other side, you see what happens when millions of gallons of water are not contained and that city is being flooded and houses now have standing water, right? And drywall is ruined and and there's rot and there's mold and there's mildew, right? And carpet has to be torn up and all of that because that has not been contained. And we want to tell ourselves, no, nothing should ever be contained. That's not how we should live. But we see in nature around us, like in our culture around us, no, there's something powerful that happens even through restraint. And that's what God says as it comes to our sexuality. Yes, you are called to show restraint. You are called in moments to contain the gift of sex that God has given you to honor God and to use it in the way that he has called us to use it. That sexuality just left to run rampant can cause destruction. It can cause pain. It can cause um, shame and guilt in our lives whenever we do not follow God's design and God's plan for our life. See, God has given this to us. This is a gift from God. God's not out to try to withhold pleasure from your life or to try to make you miss out. God has a desire for you. 
but he wants it to be used in the way that he designed it. Because when we follow God's plan and God's design, that's where we truly accept his gift and we receive his gift. And all of the mindset and all of the shame and the guilt that we struggle with as a culture and as a society, those things begin to be removed when we're following God's plan and his purpose for our life. And you guys, we can fall to the bait of sexual sin in our life so easy. And so in this message, I want to end with this thought. Is you may be sitting here and statistics would tell us that even within the church, there are so many of us that struggle with the issue of sexual sin in our life. This is something the enemy is using in front of us to destroy us and to bring us down, to break apart our families, to get a hold of our young people's lives. And in each of us, like this can be a struggle in our life. And the purpose of this message, I want you to hear this. It's not that you walk out feeling condemned. It's not that you walk out feeling hopeless. Like, well, I've already messed up, man. I guess God doesn't love me. I guess God, I guess I've already blown it. So that's it. That's not the purpose of this message. The beauty of the gospel, the beauty if you keep on reading David's story, is God restored him. David repented. He said, God, I'm going to be honest. I've made some big mistakes here. I messed up really big. So God, I need you to cleanse me. That's the beauty of what Jesus did. Is he came because he knew we were broken. He knew we would fall for some of these traps in the bait of the enemy. And he said, I have come to give you real life. I've come to restore what's been broken in your life. Some of you in this room, it's not that you've committed sexual sin, but sexual sin has been committed against you. And you're still walking in brokenness. You have felt the abuse and the destruction of that over your own life. And you still carry some of that guilt and shame that is not yours to carry. And this morning, Jesus is here to say, I want to bring healing. I want to restore what was taken from you. If this thing has you trapped, I want to release you from the chains of sin in your life. It no longer has to have control over you. I've come to bring life and freedom in you. And I want us to take a moment and just reflect on this message. If you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning and just think about what God has challenged us with as it comes to our sexuality and the gift of sex that God has given us. And you may be here this morning and maybe you've been trying to fix yourself on your own. Like, God, maybe I can be strong enough. Maybe I can man up enough willpower, God, to eventually get over this. And the Bible is very clear. We can't do that. We can't try to do enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff in our life. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why he went to the cross. That's why God gave his life so that you and I could be restored back into right relationship with God, so our sin could be forgiven, so that if we're broken and someone's committed sin against us, we can experience God's healing and forgiveness and restoration back into a right relationship with God, understanding his plan for our life. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to ask everyone in the room to pray this because we don't want anyone praying alone. If you're watching online, I want you to say this out loud with us. Let's pray this together. Jesus, I come to you. And I need your forgiveness. I need your healing in my life. And I need you to make me new. God, if there's sin, I confess it. Lord, if there's brokenness, I want your healing. 
I pray, forgive me of my sins. Give me a brand new start. Be the savior of my life. Be the Lord of my life. I pray this in your name. Amen. Church, can we just put our hands together and celebrate? And I want you to hear this. If you've been struggling, but you prayed that prayer, if sexual sin has been something that feels like it has a hold of you, the enemy this week is gonna lie to you. And he's gonna say that prayer didn't matter. That prayer didn't change anything. Like those were just simple words. I'm telling you, God's spirit is working inside of you now. And he wants to bring victory in your life over those things. He doesn't want you to be a captive anymore. And so we want to help you walk through that. I want to encourage you, reach out to us. We want to walk with you and help you as you overcome those strongholds in your life. And so the simple action that I want you as you walk out these doors is to examine your heart and to look at this. God, do I need a coach? Do I need an encourager? Or do I need accountability? Do I need a coach? Do I need an encourager? Or do I need accountability? See, different people, we need different things in our life. You may have experienced sexual trauma in your life, like someone abused you sexually. You may need a professional counselor, like a coach, to walk through you with some healing and to help understand scriptures and to retrain some of your pattern of thinking as it comes to God's gift of sex in our life. You may need a coach, someone to walk alongside of you. You may just need encouragement. Maybe you have victory in this area of life, but you just need someone to encourage you and to continue to walk with you. Maybe you need accountability. Maybe it's not an outside professional, but maybe there's one or two close friends. It may be with a family member of sharing your location, like I said, or they have the passwords to the things on your phone. They can see what you're looking at or on your computer. Maybe it's setting some guidelines on your TV. So many of them have parental controls now, and we have those on our television because we need that accountability. Whatever it is in your life, I want you to examine those things this week and say, God, I'm going to take those steps. Is it a coach? I need to reach out for some professional help to help me along this way. Is it someone just to encourage me? Is it accountability in my life? Because I don't want to fall for the bait of sexual sin. I don't want to be trapped or experience destruction in my life, in this area of my life. I want God's freedom. And so church, I'm gonna lead us in one more prayer that God would help us to experience freedom, that God would help us to be a light in this area of our world. And I don't want you to just listen to me, but you just have an honest conversation with God. Wherever you're at, or you may know a close family member or friend that is really struggling, take this moment and pray for God's freedom over their life. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come before you, God, and I thank you that in your word, you deal with honest topics like this. Some of them are difficult, but God, we don't want to shy away from them as a church. God, we want to follow your guidelines in scripture, God. We want to be open in our lives, Lord, so that we don't fall a victim to the enemy's traps. And so I pray that over your church, God. If there's anyone in this room, God, and they've been struggling with this, bring freedom this week. God, bring the accountability, bring the encouragement, God. Bring a coach in their life, a counselor, someone that can walk with them through this. Lord, if anyone needs healing, God, I come against the shame or the guilt that the enemy would try to place over our lives, Lord. And I speak healing, God, and I speak restoration and redemption over us because of the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. And so I pray that let there be victory this week and moving forward, God. Let us be the church that reflects your light, God, and your goodness and your love to those around us. I pray this in your name. Amen.